Welcome to episode 21, Breastfeeding Basics. Our guest today is Kara Rosales, an international board certified lactation consultant. We are talking about all things breastfeeding, milk supply, pumps, engorgement, mastitis, and so much more. If you are a new mom preparing to breastfeed again or breastfeeding and having questions, this is a great episode for you. Let's get going. Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Welcome, Sky community, to another exciting episode today. We're talking all about breastfeeding. I don't know about you, but if you're breastfeeding, I breastfed my babies, and sometimes you need that extra support. And today we have with us Kara Rosales, an international board certified lactation consultant from For Baby's Sake. Welcome, Kara. Thank you. So tell us about your practice and how you're serving the women of Dallas-Fort Worth. Absolutely. So there are three of us, my partners, Melanie and Deirdre, and then me, and each of us do, for the most part, home visits with COVID that's changed a little bit, but we are offering some home visits and then each of us have office options as well. We have offices in Fort Worth, Grand Prairie and Dallas. So we kind of have the Metroplex covered as much as possible so that people don't have to travel too far to see us. And then we also offer virtual consultations pretty frequently. We've gotten very good at virtual consultations consultations through COVID. So that's gotten a lot easier. I'm sure you have. So a lot of patients have asked me, well, how much can we really do virtually? How effective is that? It's a pretty effective way, especially prenatal appointments are very easy to do virtually since a lot of it is more um, hands-off and we're just talking and and giving information or finding out what happened in in a last breastfeeding experience that we can kind of make better this time. It's actually been much more effective than we kind of anticipated in the beginning. A lot of times we'll kind of, I have lots of props that we use when when we're doing virtual consultations. Behind me, I have a baby and a bottle and a breast and a a breast pump and lots of different things that we can show to parents when we're in a virtual consultation. And, you know, we're able to kind of walk parents through doing their own oral assessment on their baby. A lot of times we'll have parents send us some pictures after the visit. And we're able to help with latching and positioning and things like that. And then milk supply, a lot of those things aren't things that we need to be hands-on for. And so a lot of those things are things we can help with pretty easily virtually. Right. Awesome. So if mama is struggling with the latch and getting baby to latch, do you prefer that to be in person? No, not necessarily. I think a virtual visit works pretty well. Sometimes if we're not able to get the help, you know, that we need in a virtual visit. Sometimes we'll say, I think it would probably be best if you did an in-person after, or we can give them some strategies to start working on and then have them see it or have them let us know what's happening. All of our consultations include text support after. So they always have the option to text us and say, okay, this is happening now, or I'm still struggling with this. And then once they do a virtual, if they do decide to do an in-person after that, then it's a follow-up, right? So that makes it a little bit easier. And then they could always do 
an in-person, you know, home visit or office visit after that, if they're still needing some extra support. Right. Awesome. So fed is best versus breast is best. What's your take on that? I think that we need to look at the biological normal of breastfeeding because it is biologically how we're made to feed. And when we're struggling with that, then we need to look at why is baby struggling? Is the parent struggling? You know, where's, where's the struggle coming from? Or is it kind of a mix of both, but ultimately feeding the baby is the most important thing and protecting the milk supply is the second most important thing always. Right. So I know a lot of moms who struggled with breastfeeding and have done lactation consultation and ultimately they define themselves as a failure. And this can lead to postpartum depression. If your baby is thriving and gaining weight, number one, you're not a failure. (laughs) So I feel like that there's a lot of mom guilt around breastfeeding. How do you help coach your clients with that? So what I usually remind them is that success is defined by them and not anyone else. But I think that we tend to get so caught up in this is how my mother-in-law fed, or this is how my mom fed me, or this is what happened with my sisters or those kinds of things. And we get a little bogged down in everyone else's experiences and thinking that they're supposed to be the same as our experience, which doesn't always happen. And that's okay. So you have to remember that success is for you to define, not for anyone else. And that can look very different for each person. Right. So who do you say needs a breastfeeding or a lactation consult? Everybody (laughs) feels like, I mean, not everybody, maybe anyone that feels like they're struggling. If you're dreading feeding your baby, if you're in pain, if you're supplementing, if you're feeling like, if you're feeling like you're not successful or you're not meeting whatever goal you have, then that would be where it would be appropriate to reach out and get some help. Awesome. Awesome. I would agree with that. You know, some moms just take to it with ease and babies have no difficulty. And then, you know, there's a huge spectrum. (laughs) There's a huge spectrum, but I never want somebody's somebody's idea that they're not going to be successful to keep them from even trying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So some of the common reasons that patients come to see you kind of addressed, 60% of mothers don't breastfeed for as long as they intend to. And how long mothers breastfeed her baby is usually influenced by issues with lactation or latching, right? Concerns about infant nutrition and weight, like, is my baby gaining enough? Is my, is my milk supply adequate? Concern about medications that mom might be taking while breastfeeding. Unsupportive work environments if you're going back or you don't have adequate parental leave, Right. And then cultural norms or lack of family support in breastfeeding, unsupportive hospital practices and policies, which speaking as an OB-GYN, I can say that that really has swung the other direction in the last 10 years and hospitals are very supportive from even airports now are having lactation rooms, right? The hospitals are having lactation rooms. Babies are rooming with mom. They're doing a lot to have that support. And the lactation consultants are very readily available in the hospital. So I do feel like that piece has kind of swung. But what are the most common reasons women, or what's the most common concern, complaint that patients are seeing you with? Usually either a transfer issue. 
which would equate sometimes to milk supply, a milk supply issue, or sometimes to transfer where the parent has the milk, but baby can't get the milk out efficiently. And then pain are generally like the top kind of, okay. I guess that would be two reasons why people see us. But transfer in pain. And when you say transfer, you're talking about how do we get milk to baby? Yes, exactly. Okay. Whether okay. it's not enough milk or whether it's enough milk and baby can't get it. Right. Got it. Okay. I know that whenever I was nursing and I had another friend who was on this, that same wavelength, we were both worried about milk supply, right? Maybe baby wasn't sleeping because baby didn't get adequate milk. And well, how do I know? And well, I'm going to feed the baby. I'm going to pump, or this time I'm going to have dad feed the baby and I'm going to pump and see how much milk I actually get. You know, there's all of this drama over milk supply. And I think it's so important for us to remind mamas to reassure them that your milk supply is adequate if baby's having eight to 12 wet diapers, or if you're feeding eight to 12 times in a day, right? And if baby's having six to eight wet diapers in a day, in a 24 hour period, you're probably okay. If baby's gaining weight, life is good. I would say gaining weight is the most important piece of that. So I like to equate it to parents, like you go on a diet, you expect to still pee as often, you expect to still have bowel movements as often, but you expect to lose weight. Right. Right. So when baby's not getting quite enough, it's usually that weight gain that's going to drop off first. So that's what I like to look at a little bit more often than wet diapers. But yes, absolutely. That's a really good point. To an extent, so much to breastfeeding is having faith in your body and your baby's ability. And that can be Mm -hmm. really hard. And, you know, but we do, there is no empty or full meter on your baby to know when they've had enough. And I wish there were, I, you know, someday someone's going to figure out how to make that. But as of now, we do have to look for those cues and look for those, those signs that everything is fine. But if there's any doubts or you're, uh, you know, up worried about it in the middle of the night, call an IBCLC. We do a transfer weight. So what we usually do is a weighed feed. We'll weigh baby, have them feed, and then weigh them again to see how much they're transferring at the breast. And sometimes that can be a big weight off when you know that, that that's how much, you know, or, or that you kind of have that, oh, wow, they're actually doing better than I thought. And if for some reason they're not getting quite as much as you think, then we can work on a plan to increase that. I also always try to remind parents that most of the time a baby will want to feed more frequently when they're not getting quite as much as they need in each feeding. So sometimes that's why parents might be feeding 12 to 15 times a day because baby's getting smaller amounts every time, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but we may need to figure that out and make a plan to correct it because that's not always sustainable for parents. Right. I was about to say, because then nobody is getting sleep, right? <laughs> I think at some point there's a breaking point for our mental well-being because sleep, the sleep deprivation in postpartum period is real. <laughs> Very real. All right. So what is your preference in this world of like, is this ever changing with pumps? I used my medulla pump forever and ever with all of my kids. I breastfed four kiddos. Medulla pump. <laughs> I use the same one. So, I mean, I know that there've been a lot of advances and now, you know, you can put your pump in your bra and keep doing all of your things. So tell me of what your preference is these days. 
Medela has actually reformulated or re remade their pumps. And so they have a new one on the market that is still called the Medela pump and style, I believe, but it looks a little bit different. It's not that little black bag with the yellow box inside it anymore. So it looks a little bit more stylish, which is nice. And it is now closed system. So the problem with the older Medela pumps is that they were open system, which means that if you ever had thrush or mastitis or any kind of bacterial infection on your nipples, that bacteria would get into the motor of the pump and keep growing. And so, especially if a parent hasn't used their pump for a while and it's kind of been sitting in the closet, I usually go, hmm, let's call insurance and get a new pump because insurance companies have gotten much better at covering pumps for parents. And so that's always an option. I think my favorite pump at this point for a parent who has a tenuous milk supply is probably the Spectra. That's the one that I usually get the most, the most benefits from. And then, you know, there's a couple of more portable pumps like the Willow or the LV. And I find that those generally work well as long as the parent has a good established milk supply. If we're trying to increase, unless that is the only way that this parent can manage to pump often enough to increase, then I generally like to do something that's a little bit more effective, like the Spectra. Right. That will be super helpful. What are your other big tips with mamas with like, or painful nipples? First of all, get help. <laughs> if your nipples are a little bit, I don't know, a little bit raw and you know, you feel like they're getting used to this new sensation, you have a little bit of pain at the beginning of the latch and then within 30 seconds or so it's gone and you can finish the feeding without any pain. Then that is usually kind of a, within the realm of normal, make sure you're using your nipple butter kind of, um, of problem. If you have cracks and bleeding or, you know, really significant damage, or you feel like you have an infection of any kind that is not within the realm of normal and that that's what is going to need more assessment and really looking at things a little bit deeper. Awesome. And what about low milk supply? If you've established that milk supply is indeed low, what are your recommendations to help support that milk supply? Again, get help, but you know, cause a lot of times what we're doing is making a really personalized plan for that parent because, you know, like you said, sleep is important. And a lot of us have a threshold of what we can handle, which is okay. And so, you know, making that plan with that parent of like, this is what we're going to do. Usually what I like to start with is extra stimulation. Everyone wants to start with herbs and supplements. I don't like to start there. I sleep and hydration. Like <laughs> we have to drink plenty yes. of water. <laughs> yes, those are important, but I don't think that water is going to make or break you to an extent. If you have the capacity to make the milk, we can get the milk. But, you know, the people that are forcing themselves to drink, you know, 180 gallons of or ounces of water a day, you know, not necessarily something we need to focus on. Sometimes we really just need to focus on more stimulation. And so, you know, what I usually tell parents is equate it to you make a New Year's resolution to drink more water and you're drinking, you know, 120 ounces a day, but you don't have any more time to use the bathroom. So then what do you do? Like you get a bladder infection or you get a urinary tract infection or things get infected because you're not removing the urine more frequently and there's more of it. And so if you increase milk supply with 
herbs or supplements, but you're not able to remove the milk more frequently, you're going to get mastitis, you're going to get plugged ducts, you're going to have other problems come up because of that. So I usually will start parents on an extra stimulation plan for a week or so and kind of see how that goes. And then we talk about supplements after that. And the best time to pump to increase milk supply in general is right after the baby has breastfed within 30 minutes is usually what I like to start with. Okay. That's great. Yeah. That's great advice. It can be a little frustrating because you don't get a lot in that moment, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to, to increase the supply so that baby's getting more when they're latching, hopefully. Right. Okay. So if mom is prepping to go back to work and she's wanting to store in the freezer, how does she navigate that between feeding baby and getting enough extra milk for storing? Yeah. So I usually suggest pumping, you know, pick a time and pump once or twice a day, kind of depending on how much you feel like you need in the freezer. But I don't usually suggest that parents have big, huge freezer stashes. You know, you see the pictures on Instagram of like 500 ounces in the freezer. And I just don't find that there's usually a need for that because what you need to remember is that when you go back to work, hopefully you're going to be pumping while you're at work. So then you have that milk to send with baby to daycare, wherever they are the next day. And then you keep going in that pattern until you get to Friday. And then on Friday, you can put your milk in the freezer. And on Monday morning, you pull your oldest milk out to send with baby. So you're always cycling through that stash just a little bit. If milk is in the freezer attached to the refrigerator, it's only going to last for about six months. And so if you have 500 ounces and you're not going to go through it, then you just end up wasting that milk you know, which always, always, always please donate it if you get to that point, but that's besides the point. Um, and so I usually suggest having about a hundred ounces or about a week's worth of milk. That way, if you get mastitis and your milk drops a little bit, you have some backup. If you know, you miss a couple pumping sessions at work and your, your supply drops a little bit, then you have some backup while you're fixing the problem or things like that. So usually I just say, Pick two times a day, try to pump after baby breastfeeds. First thing in the morning sometimes is the best time because that's when your supply is usually the highest. And then a lot of times I'll suggest that parents try to pump at night, like after baby goes to bed or kind of has their last feeding of the night, because that's when, you know, you won't get quite as much because your supply is lower than, but you have kind of that longest stretch where baby is hopefully going to be sleeping for, you know, four to five hours and you have a little bit of a longer stretch. Okay. Great tips. Great tips. Okay. You mentioned banking your milk. And so I know when a lot of our neonates go to the intensive care that they are getting donor milk. I personally donated my batch of milk that my six month old had no interest in (laughs) to a mama who had adopted a baby girl. So I, I really believe in this. Tell us about our local milk banks and how that works. Yeah. So I've heard them speak a couple of times, but I will, I'll, I'll tell you what I know from hearing them. There's lots of different drop-off locations and our milk bank is one of the biggest, I believe, possibly in the country. We cover Texas or part of Texas, North Texas anyway, because there's another big milk bank in Austin. And then, you know, parts of Oklahoma and uh, a couple of other states. So we have drop-off locations all over the place. You can even mail in your milk so that you don't have to, to take it anywhere. The milk bank itself is in Fort Worth and they actually do tours that are really interesting and fun. So that's always a fun thing to do. 
I believe the last time I spoke to them, they ask that people have at least 100 ounces to donate, and then they will pay for the parent to get a blood test. And it's a super quick, easy blood test. And then when they get the milk, they mix a bunch of different milk from different parents together in order to create kind of bioengineer this perfect level of calories per ounce that they're looking for. Oh, very scientific. Yes, it actually is very, very scientific. And they run all of the milk through a chromaticrit to find out how many calories per ounce it has. And then they can mix it together to make the formula that they're kind of looking for with it. And then they pasteurize all of it and they put it into into little jugs and they send it off to hospitals. People can get prescriptions for breast milk after they've left the hospital, but they will fill orders based on medical need. And so it kind of depends on how much they have at any one given moment and whether they have extra to give out. Because it's pasteurized, it lasts a little bit longer in the freezer, which is nice. You know, you do lose a little bit of the nutritional elements when you pasteurize, but not enough to make it to make it not worth it to use. So it's a it's a really worthy cause and they fill orders for hospitals and though that breast milk is going to, you know, first the teeny tiniest preemie babies that sure would most likely die if they had formula, unfortunately. So or fortunately that we have that that option. And you know, so when I'm talking to parents about milk donation, I usually try to convince them to donate to the milk bank whenever possible. If they don't have a hundred ounces or they've been on any herbs to increase milk supply, again, why I'd like to try other things before herbs. If you're on herbs to increase milk supply, then the milk bank will not take the milk. And so mm-hmm. they ask a big long questionnaire and kind of find mm-hmm. out if you take any over-the-counter medications or if you take any prescription medications and what herbs you've been taking. And mm-hmm. it actually is very, very scientific and very well thought out and planned. That's awesome. That's so good to hear. I need to go take that tour of the milk bank. I've always been curious. <laughs> Very interesting. And they have a person whose whole job is to educate. So she will go speak to groups and she'll speak to people to educate them about the milk bank and their processes. And it's amazing. We've had her come to our support group before to speak to the parents and it's, it was really, really interesting. That's awesome. So as a mama who loves, loved breastfeeding all of her babies, I, you know, wholeheartedly support breastfeeding, but I also know that there are some mamas who may have medical complications or concerns, or there may be issues where it's not best for them, or they're unable to breastfeed. And then some elect and make that decision to, to not breastfeed. I mean, it is a, a personal decision. So we're just here to support mamas who are wanting to breastfeed. So give me your top tips for breastfeeding mamas. A couple of things that I like to focus on when you get home from the hospital or even before, or if you have a home birth or birth center, kind of the same thing, have a couple of places in your house that you have like your little nest set up to an extent, your water bottle and your phone, the TV remote, you know, all of the things that you might need kind of right there next to it. If this isn't your first baby, include a couple of things in there for your older child, a couple of books that your child can hold while you're breastfeeding. And that kind of makes them feel a little bit included in the process and not so shut out, which sometimes, especially toddlers can feel a little bit shut out when you're sitting on the couch breastfeeding a lot. And so I usually suggest to have a couple things that your toddler only gets to play with when you're breastfeeding. And that makes it a little bit more fun for them. 
obviously drink water, eat lots of calories, don't restrict your diet too much unless you, you know, have talked to someone and, and they've suggested that you do that. You know, just because you had a baby doesn't mean you need to drink all of the milk herbs, all of the teas and take all of the supplements. I think that, you know, you and lactation cookies again, like they're good for you. That's great. They have oatmeal, but I would much rather you just eat a bowl of oatmeal than make a batch of cookies and eat the entire batch in one day. Oh yeah. Yeah. I am all about whole food, plant-based eating. Um, I'm not saying you don't eat any meat. It's a personal preference, but eat more plants. (laughs) And as, as a mama who breastfed four, I didn't do any supplements or herbs or cookies, just whole foods. Yes. Yeah. Generally, there's not a reason to eat cookies. Except for cookies taste good. (laughs) Yes. If the cookies really serotonin in your body, eat one or two, but don't eat the whole batch in one day. Engorgement can be something that's really hard to, to handle sometimes for some people. So always reach out and get help. There are some really great lymphatic massage videos on YouTube. Maya Bowman specifically as someone who has a fantastic massage video for lymphatic massage. So all of the parents that come home from the hospital, really swollen from IV fluids, or, you know, even if you didn't have IV fluids, you may get really engorged in the beginning. And so those videos can be really helpful. Right. And with engorgement, you just, you really need to empty the breast, correct? So whether it's nursing or pumping to really get the release to avoid getting mastitis. Yes. But engorgement is also lymphatic fluid. It's swelling. And so if we can get that lymphatic fluid to move back toward the armpit, then we can get the milk flowing easier. But when engorgement gets too bad, then baby can't latch or the milk can't move because it just created this huge traffic jam with all of the lymphatic fluid. So that's why like those things can go hand in hand, depending on what's going on in the situation. Sure. And you mentioned mastitis a couple of times, but we didn't actually define that. I mean, most breastfeeding mamas have probably heard of it, but basically it's when the milk ducts get infected and mamas need to go on antibiotics to relieve that and then warm compresses and continue feeding. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's exactly right. All right. Awesome. Okay. So tell our audience where they can find your group, how they can work with you. We have a Facebook page if you go, or if you look on Facebook for baby's sake. And then we also have a website for babysake.com. And we have a Google voice phone number that is 657-BF-HELP-1. And so you can always reach us there. Email is always great as well. And that is info.forbabysake at gmail.com. And all of that's on our website. Prices are on there. One question that we get frequently that I want to cover super fast is we do not take insurance. We are cash pay, but we give super bills that you can submit to your insurance company to try to get reimbursed, depending on what insurance you have. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it is nice to have that option to it for a home visit. Yes. So they can do virtual in at home visits. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. That's exciting. Well, it's such a good support system to have because once you leave the hospital, I think that a lot of mamas, I mean, some hospitals have it set up where you can actually go back for lactation consultation, but I find that postpartum is the hardest period just to get out of the house. So having somebody who will meet virtually or come to you is phenomenal. Absolutely. It's such a great service that you are providing. So thank you so much for your time today. It's such a pleasure. And I look forward to collaborating in the future. Yes, thank you so much for speaking to me. 
All right. Take care. You too. All right, Sky community. Thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.